wish to attract higher levels of good health, personal and interpersonal relationships, and a deeper connection with spirit, you've tuned in at the right time and to the right place. This is Awakened Hearts with Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. In our program, we'll provide intuitive readings, insight, and guidance to help you connect with spirit and experience more from life. Now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled that you have joined us here today. We are your hosts, Rebecca Campbell. And Boyd Campbell. And you are listening to Awakened Hearts on the 7th Wave channel of Voice America Talk Radio. You can contact us by email, hello at sundrahealing.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, add us on Google+, and of course, visit our website, sundrahealing.com. Today, we have Dr. Friedman Schwab with us, and he is the author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution. As a physician specializing in cardiology and molecular biologist, Dr. Friedman Schwab became increasingly fascinated by the powerful influence of our thoughts, emotions, and beliefs on our health and on disease. He recognized that our abundant self-healing abilities can only function effectively when mind, body, and spirit are in alignment. Welcome to the show, Friedman. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. I was looking forward to being on the show and uh, chatting with you both. Yes. Yes. Now, could you share with our listeners what is the best way that they can contact you? Uh, Is there a specific website that, that is preferable? Yes. So if uh, you would like to learn more about the work I'm offering, the sessions, the seminars, the products, the books, go to thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's in one word, thefearandanxietysolution.com. Wonderful. And we are open to take callers as we are on every show. So if you have any questions for uh, Dr. Schwab or for ourselves, please call one 866 Four seven two five seven nine five. All right. So, wow, where to start? Fear and anxiety. These are, you know, huge things for all of us. Yeah, prominent throughout everybody's lives. For, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Spelling. Yeah. Well, I think fear and anxiety is something. I mean, right now. I mean, if you could measure the pulse of our society right a week before the elections, I'm sure there is a lot of fear and anxiety going on. I mean, no matter which uh, person you are preferring or supporting, I mean, both sides are experiencing or both uh, candidates are creating a lot of fear and anxiety inside of us. And, uh, And I think we've noticed this. And even outside of the election cycle, we certainly have an epidemic of fear and anxiety. In the last 20 years, uh, the the amount of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication that is prescribed is skyrocketing. And uh, some doctors say that 60 to 70% of the the visits in their office are about stress and anxiety-related problems. So it is an issue that we really need to address. Wow, absolutely. Now, you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a cardiologist, and then you became a molecular biologist. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what's led you to where you are today and, and creating this solution for fear and anxiety? Well, you know, I think that the journey was always about fear and anxiety, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of a journey and you just don't know it. And uh, <laughs> because I grew up in, uh, in a family that was very anxious, both of my parents were uh, World War II generations, and uh, so they had a lot of trauma and uh, suffering going on during that time. And I I think that is something that really stuck with them almost on a cellular level. So they were often driven by fear and anxiety. And as kids, uh, you know, my sister and I certainly felt that and we took that on. And uh, and so when, as far as I can remember back, you know, starting maybe with uh, seven, eight years old, I, I began to be more anxious. And then when I got into high school, I really got panicked in front you know before any kind of tests and the pressure of expectations was certainly high and but you know you you don't necessarily see it as a theme that you're going to work on in the future so when i went into cardiology that was almost as um, you know it was written by my parents the playbook because they were doctors my sister was a doctor my grandfather was a pharmacist so it was clear that i need to go in a similar field so i became a doctor and uh, and I saw in cardiology especially how many people were anxious and how many people were stressed and afraid, not only because of their heart problems, but also because of certain situations, job, family, and so on before. So I always wondered, well, we are, we are doing a lot for the, the physical symptoms, but what were you going to do for the mind? You know, what are we going to do for the stress and for the anxiety that they were dealing with? And and one day I asked my the head of the department, my boss, and wondered, so what do you think about the influence of anxiety and stress on the heart? And he completely denied it. He said, no, there is no real evidence. There is no real study. It's cholesterol and blood pressure and maybe smoking, but that's it. And, you know, he was a stress monkey himself, so I'm sure that he was a little bit in denial maybe, but uh, <laughs> I think nowadays we just know more that stress makes a huge difference. I mean, it has a huge influence on, on our body. And so when I noticed I got more stressed and I got more unsatisfied with being someone who is treating the symptoms but not really, you know, helping people on the long runs, I got more interested in other things. So I got into research and research was something that really opened my eyes, especially molecular biology, because it really unlocks the the, the magic and the, the miracles that are happening on a cellular level inside of us every day. So that fascinated me and made me realize we do have so much potential inside. There is so much wisdom in every cell. And But at some point, I also felt that just really working on a single cell or on some rats wasn't really enough. So I got more curious about what can I do with all the knowledge I have to help people get in touch with their inner wisdom, with that healing potential and unlock that what we naturally can do. And also what can I do to help people to deal with one of the, the major challenges, whether it's a challenge, you know, only on an emotional level or a challenge on the physical level. And I'm talking about stress and anxiety. So I, I really got more into yoga. I became a yoga teacher. 
I got into meditation and I was also teaching meditation and then uh, more and more also into the subconscious mind and all the possible ways of connecting to the subconscious mind. And, and that's when the path opened up. That's when I realized I, I need to help people seeing fear and anxiety in a different way and helping to resolve it in a way that's actually, again, coming from that inner wisdom inside and not something that comes from a uh, place of, um, you know, just treating the symptom. Mm. Yeah, which is so imp- so important because particularly in the medical, uh, you know, the Western medicine, the symptoms tend to be all that that is the focus. Yeah, yeah just kind of cover it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, with fear and anxiety, I think especially there is this idea that it's a disorder, that it's a chemical imbalance, that uh, ultimately it's uh, a weakness, something that we have to just suppress or get rid of. And and I completely understand, having suffered from anxiety for quite some time, I know how debilitating it feels, I know how hard it feels to, to be in the midst of it. But it's not our enemy, it's not a disorder, it's not something we just have to you know, shoot up and say, well, let's not feel anything anymore because feeling anxiety is so terrible. Ultimately, anxiety and fear are much more than that, and and that's what uh, I think we need to explore and be open to to find out what actually does the fear and anxiety try to tell us. Mm. So I'm I'm curious when you were telling your story there, um, you you mentioned um, the fear and anxiety from from your parents. Um, how much of that um, was learned and. I'm curious if um, if you consider the fact that maybe it was passed on to you in cellular memory, your DNA, that kind of stuff. Do you take an approach into that at all? Yeah, I mean, I believe there is a, a uh, you know there is an imprint that can occur early in our lives. I I remember uh, one of my early clients. He uh, had a f- terrible fear of water, and uh, whenever he got just close to a pool, he just turned around and wanted to go away from it. And, uh, and when we went into a deep hypnosis session, he, he realized that the first event of that fear was actually when he was in the womb and mm. when he was uh, experiencing his mother almost drowning in a lake. And he didn't know about this before. So he went to his mother. He asked, is this true? And she said, yes, when I was uh, four months pregnant with you, I, I tumbled into a lake and uh, I struggled to get out, and uh, but I made it. And But her fear and that experience is certainly imprinted on him. And in that moment, you know, that, that phobia of water was born and it could be also released and resolved afterwards. But yes, I believe there has been certainly some imprint or that can happen, this imprint from parents to child and, and very possibly it also happened for me. Wow, that's... That helps a lot of uh, helps a lot of um, people. I think have an understanding of the fears they have, and they're not sure where they come from. They might consider asking their parents <laughs> or their parents' parents something to that effect. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Uh, did Did you want to go into a break here now, Beck? Actually, yeah, this would be the perfect time to take a break. Thank you, Boyd. Yeah. So we will take a break, and we will see everyone here again on the other side of two minutes. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sundrahealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You are listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We have Dr. Friedman Schwab here today, and we are talking about his book, uh, the Fear and Anxiety Solution. We're going further than the book as well. And uh, fear and anxiety is something that most of us are dealing with today. Uh, I know, you know, we see a lot of it here uh, in our own uh, practice in Canada, even without an election going on. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I guess uh, during the break, of course, we get to visit a little bit and the audience doesn't get to share that. So uh Friedman had asked us whether we are are dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety here as well. Yes, and it's been it's been increasing, and it's amazing how much um, what happens in in the U.S. impacts us up here. So we're so closely tied. So everybody, you, you talk to people, and they're talking about the election. It's all it's like Canada's having an election right beside you guys with you. So it's right. having a huge impact on us as well. Um, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have a yeah. You sit there and listen to people talk about um, Trump and the worries about what's happening there, and some of the stuff that comes out has been. Um, uh, sure, I'm sure that the, the the media has had a huge impact on it, and they're really pushing a lot of that as well. Well, that's just it, right? That uh, in many ways we are affected so much by what we are receiving as an input. And when it comes to fear and anxiety, we have to understand. And the, the fear and anxiety is not logic. It's not uh, any kind of rational part of our minds that creates fear and anxiety. It is the deeper mind, the subconscious mind. And, and the subconscious mind is basically taking everything as real. So if we are watching a movie and uh, we know it's only ketchup and there are no zombies, we're still going to feel this fear and anxiety. And today is Halloween. I mean, that's a perfect example, right? It so is. there is definitely you know, lots of fear and anxiety. And it's 
can be fun to be a little scared when there is, you know, Dracula waiting around the corner and you know it doesn't exist, but your subconscious in that moment still feels like, well, what if these are real teeth and not rubber teeth? And uh, so there's just something about that uh, election or the media in general that can portray a situation as it happens right in your living room. You just feel like, okay, this is the reality and these are the consequences and I can already really see how it all plays out because the the media and this fear-mongering that often the media does and also the politicians do, that keeps the ball rolling and the subconscious cannot really hold itself back from already extrapolating into the catastrophizing and thinking about the worst cases that that will happen from this and so we need to in order to avoid this also give ourselves a little fasting from the media and because especially when we are feeling like around the election now that uh, we are worried about an outcome we go into binge mode we are watching all the shows and reading all the articles and reading all the commentaries to the articles and we cannot get enough, but every little input can make the anxiety worse. So one of the things I would really suggest is to limit the amount right now of information you're getting because it is really not making you feel any calmer or more confident the more you're watching the news. It actually creates the opposite. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, even without uh, issues relating to current events and the news, you know, we see a lot of people, there's a lot of kids and a lot of teenagers that seem to really struggle with anxiety now too. And I don't remember when I was growing up, I don't recall that. I don't, I don't know if I wasn't aware of it or if it's something that's increased or just nobody recognized it then. But we really see a lot of that in the kids and the teens. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, it's a little bit distressing because often it's just the medication, right, that they're putting them on and they're not learning what's the source of it and how to, how to deal with uh, what's happening. What, what's your experience there? Well, I think fear and anxiety has always existed. And especially, you know, when we are looking back, there is a teenage angst that I think we all at times went through, which is just a part of figuring yourself out, the hormones racing through your body. And But you're absolutely right. There is now... There are some additional layers, some additional stressors that uh, younger uh, people have to deal with that we didn't have to deal with. And that has a lot to do with, A, the pressure that uh, parents often put their kids under. You know, the, the idea of, okay, you know what, when you, if you want to have a good future, you have to do a lot of extracurricular activities, go into, you know, certain extra classes or need to show that you have interests outside of school because that's what the universities want to hear. And that's especially in the US like this, where you just have to already write your CV the moment you're starting to walk and have to imagine what Harvard at some point would like to see from you. And so every free moment is basically scheduled. Parents are taxi drivers, Uber drivers that carry their kids from one thing to the next, mm -hmm. hoping that the kids will have something to show for, not wondering if maybe the kids are a little bit stressed out because they have no free minute. Maybe having a little bit of boredom 
uh, will foster creativity. Maybe just having a little bit of rest and not having to do so much would be better for their psyche. But that's not necessarily what they're feeling. In good faith, they feel we need to keep our kids really, you know, at the front line of those that are going to have success. So that's a pressure that I think is more and has increased in the last 10 years. And, and the other aspect is, of course, is pressure through social media. I mean, it's nice and good. Social media can have an effect on, you know, connecting and sharing ideas and information. But there's also so much pressure on how you're supposed to be, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Social media mobbing and bullying didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So there, there are things that we just need to also be aware of that come with the Internet, that come with input and and a young mind and an old mind like mine, all of them are susceptible to external uh, expectations. And um, and especially when you're 15 or you know 16, you're still on the search for yourself. You don't really know who you are. And then there are 20 different voices that tell you this is how you're supposed to be. No, no, no. This is how you're supposed to be. Well, how confusing is that? And that creates a lot of anxiety that I think we have to help to, and this is something I do in my work, helping also teenagers to find themselves and to not feel so prone to just succumb to those pressures, but really have the courage and the confidence in their true authentic self. Whatever that is, that always is an unfolding aspect of ourselves, but really learning to focus on that rather than on what other people want them to be. Mm, yeah, that's absolutely the key. Definitely, though, a message that, you know, needs needs to get out there somehow. Yeah. It, it seems like exactly. the, the parents need a lot of the information, possibly more than the, the kids and the yeah. teens. Information mm. and coping skills. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Both. Well, and you know, fear and anxiety, in my belief, is not just about coping. I think we need to really, which I said before, also understand what the fear and anxiety is trying to tell us, and not to jump too far ahead. But uh, ultimately, I believe fear and anxiety comes from the deepest inner self part that uh, you know wants us to really live our true self. You know, I personally see it in myself when I do things that are not in alignment with my truth or my values, when I'm making steps that are not really on my path, or when I'm giving my power to others rather staying centered in myself, all of those things create anxiety. So mm -hmm. you can either interpret anxiety as well, this is just like a, a misinformation or you can see anxiety as your inner compass that says, well, that's not really what gets you further on your journey. This is not really who you are. This is not really, you know, is keeping you balanced. I mean, for me, fear and anxiety is almost like an inner GPS system that just mm -hmm. gives you information on where you are at and uh, and if we are interpreting it right, and now back to the to the young people, well, if they are dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety, there is a chance that they do exactly that, that they do feel, well, not really in their center, that they do feel not connected to their themselves and giving their power to others. And that explains a lot why there is such a high level of anxiety in their lives. 
So all the more reason why the medications can be a hindrance because now you're shutting off your body's feedback system. Yes, I agree. It's in some ways, you know, saying I'm going to put a tape on the little blinking light in my dashboard in the car because I don't want to see it. But, you know, the problem still exists. Whether you turn off the light or not, whatever the light tries to indicate needs to be addressed. And that's the same with these emotions, just... Shooting the messenger doesn't get rid of the message. So when you're talking, you're talking about the subconscious and the conscious mind. How uh, how is it different? How are the two different? Um, can you explain that to our listeners a little bit so they have an understanding? Of yeah, it? yeah. Well, the conscious mind is you know basically that what we are often identifying ourselves with. It's a part that literally is. Uh, responsible for our intellectual conscious choices it is the rational aspect of ourselves is the aspect that makes us uh, make choices and uh, figure out problems so it's a you know it's it's a very important aspect of who we are but the subconscious mind is the bigger part of our consciousness and you know the iceberg uh, analogy is quite known where the conscious mind is a little peak out of the iceberg above the water and basically the the greater volume is underneath the water and that's the subconscious mind and the subconscious is responsible for so much for our emotions for our memories for our beliefs for our physical functions and also for our daily habits things we do automatically like you know, watching TV and eating soup at the same time. It's pretty hard to do, but the subconscious actually can do it without us, you know, spilling it all over our shirts. And uh, and so the subconscious is said to be in charge of about 70 to 80% of our daily activities. And that's something that uh, is quite amazing when you think about it, how, how subconscious we are living and how little we are aware of our subconscious. And if you're realizing that the subconscious is really powerful but it has one flaw and that flaw is that it always needs guidance in order to improve and change and if we never give our subconscious any guidance it's just going to repeat the same thing Mm. over and over again and that is why the subconscious is often seen as the culprit of self-sabotaging patterns and so on we just need to learn to communicate with the subconscious better in order to really benefit from its potential. Very mm. nice. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, um, like, um, to your story again, I'm just going to go back here a little bit when you were talking about your transition from, I'm going to say your past life into your current life. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm assuming that the meditation and the yoga in that, that uh, finding that uh, inner connection helped you to uh, connect with your subconscious to help control it is... Yes, yes. And uh, I, I know we have to go to break, but I am happy to talk more about that. And, uh, you know, because I don't think it's about controlling the subconscious, it's more about collaborating with the subconscious. And certainly yoga and meditation has helped a lot. Mm. We will go to the break, and we would love to hear when we come back about how we can collaborate with the subconscious mind. It's the how-to that people are really, really looking for, right? Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. So we will see everybody on the other side of two minutes. 
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sunderhealing.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sunderhealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking with Dr. Friedman Schwab, and before the break, we were getting into the subconscious mind. Uh, we understand that it, you know, performs 70 to 80 percent of, of our daily life is being done by our subconscious mind, uh, which is kind of like an, an automated mode, which is fascinating and scary at the same time, because as you said, uh, Friedman, if we are not, you know, if we're not learn if our, if our subconscious mind isn't learning something new then it is really on autopilot and just repeating what it's always known before so how can we collaborate with our subconscious mind how can we make these positive contributions that are going to change the programming well i think the the first step is to befriend yourself with your subconscious mind and uh, and just really understanding that this is a part of you that uh, has your best interest in mind, you know, especially when it comes to emotions like fear and anxiety. And even if we are accepting it comes from the subconscious mind, well, immediately the next thought is, well, let's get rid of the subconscious mind because it does such a bad job, makes me feel horrible. And uh, and just changing this idea and saying, well, what does the subconscious mind actually try to accomplish? And there are two things. One is to keep us safe. That's like the, the major uh, mission of the subconscious mind and the second one is to make us happy and if we are accepting that this is actually quite uh, a faithful ally if something inside of us wants to keep us safe and after we are safe make us happy well all we need to do is just to create some sense of safety then the subconscious mind will shift in finding our happiness and helping us to to gain that and and how you do it is to learn to speak and to communicate with the subconscious mind now the subconscious mind 
as I said, uh, you know, before, the subconscious mind is certainly uh, that deeper part that is not intellectual and rational, and this is why words don't necessarily really matter to the subconscious mind. What the subconscious mind much more understands are the emotions that that are connected to the words. So, emotions and sensations, also images that we are creating in our mind, uh, sounds we are hearing, smells that we are enjoying, taste, any kind of sensation is something that the subconscious mind very well understands. So if you are, for example, so you want to start communicating with your subconscious mind that today is Halloween and, uh, you know, there is nothing to be scared of. You can easily leave the house and just uh, give the kids candy and have a good time. Then, you know, what you want to do is just to, in your mind, already start imagining how you will go through this day. So you're creating the images. You're going to have a nice smell in your mind, you know, maybe of uh, some uh, peanut butter, you know, cookie or something like that. Then you're going to see kids that are, and having big eyes and a smile on their face. And so you're creating already for the subconscious mind a scenario that it understands that it uh, looks forward to joy and at the same time feels completely safe. I mean, that's just a, a little tiny way of communicating with the subconscious mind. But you are, when you're doing this, able to direct your subconscious mind almost like a you know, the famous truffle dogs or pigs, you direct the subconscious mind to help you find what you want to find. So joy and happy kids and a good experience rather than letting your subconscious mind simply be in reactionary mode, you know, feeling scared because of some, you know, just a weird mask or, you know, just feeling in general more on the, in the protective mode. And I think that's really important to remember the subconscious likes us to set the scenario and likes us to know what we are looking for and then the subconscious helps us to find it. I mean, I remember I was uh, effectuated uh, with a girl in medical school who had long, brown, curly hair and, uh, you know, I, she, I was in Munich at that time in Germany, and um, but I visited New York and as I was walking down the street of New York, I mean, every other street corner, that girl was there. I mean, of course, it wasn't mm -hmm. her, but my subconscious just made me look for exactly that hairstyle and, you know, that uh, that's, that height that she had. And, uh, and that's the same thing when we are looking for houses, you know, the for sale signs all of a sudden pop up in our minds, whereas before we completely ignored them. So there is something really powerful about giving your subconscious also a clear indication what you're looking for. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you know that you're going into a situation where you may, you know, tend to feel more anxious or fearful, then to spend some time ahead of time and focus on what you would rather feel and what you would rather have the outcome be, and to focus on the senses as you are 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 visualizing, and uh, I guess it's the senses that that speak the most. So this is a practice that everybody could do before going. I guess if you know ahead of time that you're going into a situation. 
Well, it's not only the senses. It depends on the person. Some person are really visual. So for those people, it will be very helpful to see yourself in the situation and see mm -hmm. yourself as calm with a big smile, shoulders back, friendly, open. You know, let's say you're afraid of speaking in, you know, in a, in a meeting at work and then you see yourself standing up calmly looking into everybody's eyes and uh, just, you know, you hear your voice, you, you just see the demeanor of confidence, you're visualizing yourself as such, and then you can even go into yourself, into that future situation, feel that calmness in the body of the person you're going to be, and look at the people around and see them friendly, smiling at you, nodding their heads, taking notes. I mean, you're just going to go back and forth from seeing yourself and being inside of you so that the subconscious has a real clear idea of that's how it's going to look and feel like. And so that's, that's certainly, you know, helpful, but you know, this is not the, that's not the solution because, you know, many people would say, well, I tried it visualizing, I'm doing it since, you know, 10 years and uh, somehow I'm still scared. And, and that's where those deeper subconscious patterns come in. We talked about that we consciously need to resolve because there is a reason. There is a reason why we don't want to be seen. There is a reason why we are afraid of rejection. There is a reason why sometimes we are rather become the pleaser and make sure everybody is okay with us rather than being the one who says, no, this is what I want and here is a boundary. I mean, people that are scared and they're trying to keep themselves safe through helping and being the caretaker for others, I mean, that is also an anxiety survival pattern that was learned at some point. And in order to overcome those patterns, we need to really understand where they come from. We need to address the emotional charge from the past where it came from. We need to communicate with that part of us that still has been holding on to these patterns as a form of survival. And we need to replace the limiting beliefs, core beliefs, such as I'm not good enough, I'm not safe enough, the shoe going to drop, very important beliefs that ultimately, as long as you're living in those beliefs, will always determine your life. No matter what you're going to do, your life will always somehow be overshadowed by your limiting beliefs until you actually change it. And, and most people know that, you know, when people say I'm not lovable, it doesn't matter how many times people say you're amazing, you're wonderful, I love you so much, they still don't feel lovable. If they feel not safe, no matter how great everything is, they still are looking forward for the or looking towards the one thing that's going to go wrong or that's going to prove them, yeah, see, I knew it, it's not safe, I cannot really relax. Beliefs are powerful. They are the laws of our own universes. And it's important to recognize what they are, where they come from, and then replace them. Hmm. Okay. And in your, in your own personal experience, what, what uh, types of tools or uh, paths, I guess, can, can people take to identify those and replace them? Well, I know there's so probably lots. There's, there's, you know, I'm not. I mean, I think the problem with fear and anxiety is that we are sometimes going too quickly into what tool to use. You know, let's use this tool. Let's use that tool, as if it's a broken machine that just needs to have the right tool and then it's going to get fixed. 
I, I really mm-hmm. see fear and anxiety much more as a growth opportunity. You know, I, I often talk about we need to not, you know, manage or get rid of fear and anxiety. We need to outgrow it because mm-hmm. in some ways you could see that fear and anxiety is keeping you stuck in a mode that usually stems from your early years, from your childhood, and maybe even from the womb, as we talked at the beginning of the show about. So being able to see that this is not about the right tool, it's just to get the healing journey on the way. And the healing journey, to get that on the way and really bring everything of you into the current moment, that is really what uh, I think this journey and the fear and anxiety solution is about. And there are processes like timeline therapy, the pattern resolution process, parts reintegration processes that are all described in the book and are very helpful to do. But when it comes to limiting belief, I mean, one of the things that you want to start with, just anyone can do that if they don't really know if they have limiting beliefs. Just look at two things. Look at your negative self-talk. Anything that you know makes you anxious, just look at what thoughts are those. You know, what are the common themes? Take three days, right? Five of those thoughts that make you feel anxious or are connected to feeling stressed, write those down and then see almost like the branches of a tree, you're following those thoughts down to the roots and you will easily find thoughts that lead you to a root of not feeling good enough, not fitting in, not belonging. And then you go and track back in your past what is actually, what happened there? You know, maybe there was even, you know, someone else like a parent or a teacher showing you that you're not good enough. Maybe it's an imprint from that time, or maybe you were always feeling like the black sheep in the family that really never got accepted or the love that you wanted. There are many reasons why we may have limiting beliefs, but when you know the belief and you can track it back to where it came from, you have already started the journey of outgrowing it. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> a lot of deep digging to do that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of honesty with oneself as well as you go through that, I would assume. That's true. Yes. Yeah, to be very willing to open those doors. Right. Um, I'm, I'm wondering um, how to determine uh, when to, to uh, pay attention to the fear that you're having. Um, how to tell when it's not false evidence appearing real and uh, versus when you know when it is. How, how does one determine that? Because there's, I know, some of the people that come in, you listen to them and they're talking and this is watching TV and, and, you know, there's all these bad things are happening out in the world and now they're starting to look at their neighbor that way and, and uh, they're starting to take on that stuff. How? Right. Yeah, how, how do we deal with that? How do I identify if it's, yeah, if if it's, it's a real, real warning sign or if it's an illusion? Yes, yes. Well, you know, that's an interesting question because I don't believe that fear necessarily will give us a real warning sign. You know, often, you know, when you look at, for example, the, the fear of flying, you know, the, of course, you could say there are uh, plane crashes. So is now when you're going into the plane 
and you're afraid? Is that a premonition? Is that uh, just something that warns you? Or is it simply the, the fear that's based on what happened to others and what happened in the past, but it's not what's happening right now? And at the same time, you know, when you are going, for example, out uh, on the street and you are seeing a person coming towards you and you're looking at that person and you're saying, well, this person is there now, you know, someone who's going to hurt me or not going to hurt me? And uh, of course, uh, the subconscious will make a lot of assumption in this moment. And in that regard, you know, we cannot take fear as something that really going to tell us the truth. And we probably will not really figure it out ever if we give in to the fear, did it save us or did it not save us? What we need to do, though, is to realize it's really not the fear or the anxiety that makes us a person that's more safe. We are way more safe when we are having access to a clear mind, when we have access to our energies and our strengths, and when we are feeling confident and secure within. I mean, think about it. If you are a deer in the headlight, completely just paralyzed by fear, is that really a safe place to be? Well, obviously <laughs> not. Or when you are a person who's always living in fear and in that fear moment, you are, you know, feeling like, well, I'm really cloudy in my mind. I feel tired. I feel weaker. I just want to really hide out. And is that really a safer place to be? Well, obviously not either. So just giving yourself permission to say, well, I need to not focus on that, what's outside of me that potentially, you know, could be harmful. I need to mainly focus, at least at the beginning of this journey, on myself and make sure that I have access to whatever I need to go through life and deal with whatever what comes my way. And, uh, and that's a much more secure and safe way to go through life. Now, of course, if you're standing at, uh, at an interstate and there is high traffic just zooming by and you think you're going to cross the interstate – and there is something inside of you that says, oh, my God, this is going to really end up bad. Well, that's common sense. Then, you know, there is maybe a moment of fear and the fear may make you wake up in the moment not to go across the interstate or not too close to the edge of, you know, some kind of a mountain. But at the end, in that moment, the fear is not something that, you know, really needs to stay around because you, with your common sense, will make the choice not to get too close or not to cross it. And that's something I feel, you know, fear and anxiety is not useless, but it's not necessarily something that will keep us safe or that we need every day to stay safe. In the evolutionary time, it was necessary because, you know, there were certain things we were really uh, not able to deal with like, you know, wild animals, snakes, uh, you know, hunger, other tribes that were attacking us. I mean, of course, there were things we had to be in alert. But now on a day-to-day -day basis, is there really so much reason to be in that survival mode and to be safe? For most of us, not. Mm. Yeah. Now, you uh, speak of uh, in the book... I believe it's in the book that I saw it, but uh, how to identify the three types of anxiety triggering self-talk. Right. What are those three types? What can we all be aware of in our self-talk? 
Well, I mean, there is the anxiety-triggering self-talk that is about the what-ifs. You know, the we all know that where we go into assumption-making, where we are looking outside of ourselves and we're feeling somehow the world is a dangerous place or we're going to mess up or something bad's going to happen. So the what-if reality is never really the what-is reality. And uh, unfortunately, when we have an anxious mind, the what-ifs never really look into you know anything positive or anything in our favorite. It usually only imagines bad things to happen. So that's number one. Number two is the, the bashing ourselves negative self-talk because fear and anxiety is very closely connected to insecurity well you know how many feel fear and anxiety not about you know something bad happening to them but them getting criticized rejected not you know measuring up not feeling good enough and so that negative self-talk that makes you constantly smaller that constantly judges you that constantly makes you feel like again I was not like the others. Again, in my in comparison to others, I'm really coming short. That's unfortunately very common. And uh, you know, I, sometimes I do workshops and I ask people just to write down things they say to themselves on a daily basis, like self-critical things. And and it's it's mean because then I ask them to give their notes to their neighbor, and then the neighbor is supposed to read what they said to them back. Like in the you form, you are fat, you're ugly, you're old. And it's amazing how the energy is changing in the room. Because if you hear someone else saying those things to you, you feel really insulted. You feel like, oh my God, how dare you calling me fat? How dare you calling me an idiot? But that's what we do to ourselves all the time. And I think that's something we have to be aware of. This is not something that we can take lightly that we can constantly insult ourselves. And then the third one is when we are having negative thoughts about others. And that's uh, something I think we do all the time. We're judging others, where we're putting others down. Gossiping is a, is almost mm -hmm. like a hobby for people. And, and that still creates anxiety because if you're creating in your mind that uh, basically other people are not good enough, other people can be ridiculed, other people can be thought bad of, that doesn't make your subconscious mind feel safe because your subconscious mind says, well, A, the people that you judge, they're not trustworthy. And B, if you judge others, chances are that others judge you and that doesn't feel safe. So gossiping is also an often unknown trigger to create fear and anxiety. Hmm. Oh. I bet you most people wouldn't have thought of that one. No. No, <laughs> that's, yeah. for, that's for sure. Yeah, very valuable yeah. information. So we're coming up to, uh, to the holiday season here. Mm -hmm. um, why do people have so much anxiety um, when it comes up um, to the holiday seasons? And um, what can we do about it? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because... Uh, even though people say it's a magical time and, you know, wonderful, we're looking forward to it. For so many, it just means also uh, a stress and anxiety hangover afterwards. And, uh, and, you know, if we are categorizing, let's say there are three really big issues we have to be aware of. Number one is when you have the holiday season, there is a lot of expectation and pressure. 
and the expectation is to make it nice, to give nice gifts. And, you know, you put yourself out there. Sometimes you are overextending your checkbook and overextending yourself and you're giving too much and you're not really getting a lot back and you want others to like you. You want others to enjoy it. And and in this way, you're putting so much emphasis and focus on those around you and you're losing touch with yourself. And that's one thing I said, you know, in the show that that inner GPS system says, well, what about me? You're not really connected to yourself. You are only connected to Aunt Anne and, and Uncle Joe, but not really looking after what you need and what you want, which is number two. When we are in the holiday season, we also lose all our healthy routine. So, you know, we are not meditating anymore. We are not eating healthy. We're not going to the gym. We are pretty much going in some kind of a, a binge of, uh, of negative habits. And, and that's, again, something that the subconscious doesn't really like because you are, you're not taking care of yourself, which is not very safe from the subconscious mind's perspective. And, and the third one, of course, we are around family. And family has installed buttons of insecurity, of not feeling good enough, of having a certain way to be in order to be accepted. And they are pushed during the holidays like a little accordion. And of course, then our inner self, especially the anxious side that is you know, likened to be a child, feels once again like you have been feeling when you were little, small, you know, as a part of or insecure, and those things just bring a lot of anxiety back up. You're losing your adult self, and you go right back into your child habits. That, for many means, insecurity, anxiety, fear, and so these are kind of the three major reasons why people feel anxious. Hmm, that makes sense. Something we can all be aware of this this holiday season as well. Yes. Well. We are uh, we are wrapping up the show. This hour went by super fast, as Very everyone fast. seems to. Uh, thank you so much for listening with us today, all the listeners out there. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you all here. And we want to give special thanks to you, uh, Friedman, for sharing this space with us today. Yes, for sure. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. And I wish we had another hour because there is so much still to talk about but you know it was really nice to have uh, me on your show and uh, i wish you all the best wonderful and uh, we can we can look at getting you on the show again in the future absolutely yes so you've yes be lovely so you've been listening to awakened hearts join us next week same time same place we will have kelly kossow from the ford institute and we will be talking about the human shadow from our hearts to yours Thank you for tuning in this week to Awakened Hearts. Please join your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell, again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until our next show, have an enlightened week.